Well, today we're going to continue in part two of our series that is simply entitled, I Am. And, uh, and right now, I want you to help me welcome the men at Valley of Grace Recovery Center that are joining us online. So come on, New Life, can you help me welcome? Uh, yes! Hey, fellas, New Life Church wants you to know that we are proud of you. We're praying for you. We're believing for your healing and freedom in Jesus' name. Well, this series we started last week. We're going to be going through the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And in the last day of this series, part seven will be Easter Sunday morning, and we will declare Jesus' declaration that he is the resurrection and the life. And last week we started off with Jesus. He said, I am the bread of life. We talked about the three breads mentioned in John 8. We talked about the bread in the wilderness, the bread that multiplied, and the bread of life. And so if you ever want to check that out, it's online, newlifeforkokomo.org. All of our messages are archived there. But today we're going to move on to another I am statement that Jesus made when he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Um, he, he, the Gospel of John, again, we're, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John and all of Jesus' I am statements. The Gospel of John opens up in the very first verse, speaking even to this very idea that he is the light. This is what it says in John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God and was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is speaking of Jesus, that he's been with God, that Jesus just didn't uh, appear in the story at his birth, but Jesus has always been. And it says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was uh, made that has been made. And watch this. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines bright in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. And I will tell you that at no point ever can darkness ever overcome light. We credit darkness with a lot of power, but it flees at the sight of light. If we turned off all the lights in the, in the auditorium today and made it very, 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 very dark, one light would illuminate this whole room. It's almost as though the darker the darkness, the brighter a light can be. So let your light shine. Let your light shine. And so in John 8, 12, this is where Jesus makes this powerful statement. He says, it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am, there's that statement, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want you to notice what it said. It says, when Jesus spoke again. So that means he had spoken something before this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, so I don't know about you, but my curiosity gets the better of me, and I'm like, well, if he spoke again this, then what did he speak to start this? And what we find is that um, uh, uh, 
there's the backdrop of all of John chapter 7 and 8. The backdrop of this section of the Gospel of John is there is a festival going on. And uh, it's a big party. It lasts for seven days. They even add an eighth day to it. Uh, This festival is called the Festival or the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles um, uh, in, in Hebrew is called the Sukkot. The Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, is, a, um, is a, a Jewish holiday, like we would say, we have our holidays. They have seven specific Jewish holidays that are marked out in the book of Leviticus. So if you go back to Leviticus, like chapter 23, you can read about all of these feasts. Well, the Feast of Tabernacles is one of these seven. It's one of the three feasts that calls all uh, uh, Israelite-born men to make the journey, the pilgrimage from wherever they live to Jerusalem for that particular feast. And so this is the backdrop that's taking place when Jesus makes the statement, I am the light of the world, and he said that secondary to something else, which we haven't seen yet, so we gotta go look. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, essentially this is the Feast of Tabernacles. For seven days, they are to build temporary dwellings temporary shelters and they build them out of palm branches and and some other things and they have some citrus fruit because they're also praying and celebrating the harvest that's about to take place Uh, the feast of tabernacles the sukkot it takes place on the 15th day of the seventh month tishri 15 on the hebrew calendar is when the feast of tabernacles takes place and they build these temporary dwellings that they stay. Imagine like if you go out, in the, out, out together in, in the backyard in, a, in, in an area and, and you pitch a tent for seven days. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? I know like we have a lot of camping people here and you're like, that sounds awesome. I would love to go camping for seven days. That sounds like a vacation. And I know some of you that you literally take vacation and you leave your perfectly comfortable home and you go do that exact thing. You go stay in some kind of temporary dwelling for seven days, and you call that vacation, I, I call that torture. <laughs> I'm more like a Marriott reservation kind of camper, you know what I mean? That's my temporary dwelling. The word tabernacle means dwelling, which, which is why, like, in the Old Testament, that when they would build the tabernacle, which was like the portable temple at the time until it was finally a a permanent location. The tabernacle was called uh, the dwelling place of God. And uh, and, and all the people, you have to remember what the Feast of Tabernacles commemorates. And it is really to remember that their ancestors, if you go all the way back, all the way back in the scriptures, when the Israelites were, re, were set free from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they walked through the Red Sea, you remember this story? And then they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And in their wanderings, they had to build these small tabernacles, or these dwellings, these small uh, tent-like structures to stay in, because they were portable, they had to travel. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is for seven days all the men that are natural-born Israelites had to come to Jerusalem and build for themselves these little temporary dwellings to remember what their ancestors had been through, to not forget all the ways that God had provided for them, 
And in doing so, they're praying for the harvest because Tishri 15 is about September, October in the fall. The harvest is about to happen. They're praying for the harvest. And then there were some significant things that were taking place in their festivities that were very uh, symbolic. It included lots of prayer focused on uh, the coming Messiah. And they actually would would, uh, have times of worship and rejoicing, sounding the trumpets, and chanting over and over Psalm 118, which is a psalm that is crying out for salvation. And, uh, and so we'll look at some of this. And so to show you in Leviticus 23, uh, this is where it speaks of this festival. It says, celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year, living in temporary dwellings for seven days. This is the backdrop of what is happening in John chapter 7 and 8. All these people living in temporary dwellings, celebrating Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And then, and then something interesting happens during the Feast of Tabernacles. is that on the, the seventh day of the festival is considered to be the greatest day of the, of the feast. It's the greatest day. So uh, in today's terms, day seven, it's a party, man. Is a big old party. It's loud, there's singing, there's dancing, and it goes all night long. The seventh day is the greatest day. There's a couple ceremonies that they do on the seventh day of Sukkot. One is what they call the, the, the outpouring of water. And so the priests, they, they take these golden pitchers, uh, which, so they probably came from the temple. They're made of gold, so they're probably uh, set aside. They're considered, you know, for the Lord's work. And they go down to the pool of Siloam. They go down to the pool of Siloam, and they scoop up that pitcher of water. They go back to the party. They go to the altar, and they pour that water out in a basin at the foot of the altar. And people are like, woo, you know. And this, out, this water pouring ceremony, um, it's, it's symbolic of what they are believing to be the outpouring of the Rakh HaKadosh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and there was prayer, and there's these, these things are happening at this time. And then, during all of these festivities, on the last and greatest day of the party, Jesus shows up. And actually what's funny is, Originally, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, you going to the party tonight? And he goes, nah. So his disciples go to the party, and then Jesus still shows up to the party. <laughs> so like, Jesus, you going to the party? He's like, no, I'm not going. He's like, okay, well, we're going to go because it's, it's, it's like our, our duty. We all go. They're probably wondering, why ain't Jesus going to the party? I don't know, man. So they go to the party, but then Jesus secretly goes to the party. That's how I like to arrive to parties, you know. Just slide in. And so Jesus shows up to the party on the, on the greatest day. The outpouring of water, this water pouring ceremony is taking place. And, and, and so let's watch now what happens in, in John chapter 7. Uh, this is what it says. On the last and greatest day of the festival. Oh, we just, we just learned about this. This is the, the, the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last and greatest day, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice for everyone to hear, and he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. What is happening at the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles? There is this 
water pouring ceremony and they're believing that, that God, the Messiah, one day is going to come and when he does, the Rock HaKadosh is going to be poured out on all of us. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all of us and they're all chanting and, and praying, oh God, save us, save us. Come Messiah. And this, at this last and greatest day, Jesus shows up and says, hey, check this out. If you're really thirsty, drink me. Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, Jesus meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. And on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. And others said, I think this is the Messiah. On the last and greatest day, during this water pouring ceremony, Jesus says, that which you were doing, I'm right here. He's declaring that he is the Messiah, the one that will pour out the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? That's the, that's, so that's sort of the, the first statement Jesus made. We read the second. He says, I am the light of the world. Well, on this last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they do something else very symbolic. Now, remember I told you the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, it's a party. They sing, they dance, and they do it all night long. Well, if you're going to party all night long, you, you need something. They don't have electricity, so they need some form of light. So on the last and greatest day of the Sukkot, the, the priests, they, they have these, some scholars believe to be 75-foot pillars. And on top of the pillars, there's these large bowls. And some intern has to climb the ladder and fill that bowl with oil. And then they make wicks, and they, they light the wicks on the last and greatest day, and then these pillars just, just, uh, just spread light, and they say the light of Sukkot would, would, would fill every courtyard in the city. There'd be this bright light, and at the shining of the light, they would, they would be rejoicing and rejoicing. I, I, I think I missed the scripture earlier in Isaiah, but um, maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't, but... Um, the, pouring, the water pouring ceremony, they believed was Isaiah 12, 3. It says, with joy you draw water from the wells of salvation. And then in this lighting ceremony, this, this moment is called the Hashanah Rabbah. And, uh, and it means the great Hosanna. The word Hosanna means salvation. So this moment, the lighting of these lights and the party that happens all night long, this is the, the Rabbana, the, 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 uh, the Hoshana Rabbah, the, the great salvation. And what they would do during this time is that they would, uh, in the light, and, 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 and they would, this was a time of great rejoicing. Like, this wasn't like, mm, let's pray to the Lord. This is like, they're going, they're going, they're rejoicing. You know what rejoicing means? Jump up and down and spin around. I would demonstrate for that for you, but I won't <laughs> either at the same time. 
They're, so they are celebrating in the light, and, and what are they saying? Well, they are praying and singing and chanting over and over and over Psalm 118, and this is what it says. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. And what they're saying is, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he made his light shine upon us. This is what is happening on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles and is the backdrop of Jesus' statement. First, the, there's this water-pouring ceremony. He says, if you're thirsty, you should probably drink me and you'll never thirst again. And then there's this light, these bright lights are being shown and they're chanting over and over, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us, grant us success, and, and may he let, uh, may, and he made his light shine upon us. They're over and over, they're chanting this and it's this, Incredible time of worship. And then what they would do during the ceremony while they're shouting Hosanna, they would take some of those palm branches from their dwellings and they would create something that they call lulabs. That's a fun word. They would create lulabs and they would wave the lulabs in the air saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, can you see the party going on? It's like, you know, like, you know, you got like the party light sticks, you know, except for them, it's like, it's the, it's the lulabs. And they're going, Hosanna, Hosanna, let his light shine upon us. And they're partying. They're having fun. They're waving palm branches. It, can you see it? Can you see the scene? It, do it again. He goes like this. <laughs> Hosanna. Oh, Hosanna. They're just having a good old time. And then Jesus, in this setting, makes another announcement. And he says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. And they're saying, let his light shine upon us. Hosanna. Hosanna. Let his light shine upon us. And then they hear a voice. I am the light of the world. I, that is me. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have, have the light of life. Woo! This is the backdrop of Jesus' I am statement. Jesus is standing in the middle of the Hashanah Rabbah, in the middle of their, their, their great salvation, rejoicing, hoping one day a Messiah would come and save them. He shows up. That symbolized, and the light on the pillars, they believed it was, a, it was symbolic of the visual presence of God that which was seen in the tabernacle of old in a cloud of smoke. They, they called it the Shekinah glory, the visible, manifest presence of God. And they, they would light these large candles, as to, and the light was symbolic. They, they believed this is as if it were the visible presence of God. And Jesus says, can you see me? I am he, God in flesh. Emmanuel, God with you, and I came to dwell with you. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, in their temporary dwellings, Jesus says, I'm here to dwell with you. Here's what I want you to know. I don't know the story of all of your lives, 
and all of the temporary places you have found yourselves, but never pitch your tent as a permanent location what's meant to be temporary. And people all the time, they're, they're building tabernacles to try to, to find God, and he's saying, no, nah, I came to tabernacle with you. I came to tabernacle with you. And, 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 and I think that people started picking up on Jesus' claims. Because actually in John, I believe, chapter 12, something significant begins to happen. Jesus says, go get me a colt. Go get me a donkey that's never been ridden before. To fulfill, to fulfill a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. And I think people started making the connection of the things they've heard this Messiah say and the prophecy of which they know of the Old Testament. And as they see what we call the triumphant entry of Jesus, people go, I remember at the party when Jesus was like, I'm the light of the world. Drink me. And then they see him coming on a donkey. They start cutting palm branches off trees. They start fixing them together, waving them around. You know what they said at the triumphant entry of Jesus? Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Lord, save us, Lord, save us. They recognized he just might be who he said he is. Three things for you today. Number one, Jesus came to tabernacle with you. He came to tabernacle with you. He came to make his dwelling with you. Each year they built temporary dwellings in order to reconnect with God in hopes that he would save them. People still today, they're trying all of these things, hoping, well, maybe I'll find God there. Maybe I'll find God there. Maybe, I'll find, maybe if I do enough good, maybe if I do enough of this, maybe I, if I, I can somehow impress God by, by doing, doing, doing. We call this works-based salvation. And Jesus says, no, no, listen, I came to tabernacle with you. So it's just receive me. Come to me, all who are thirsty. You'll never thirst again. I am the light of the world. Walk with me. You'll never walk in darkness again. Jesus came to tabernacle with you. The second thing is that when you are in a drought, there's always a drink. And it's in the difficulties of life that I realize I need him the most. Times when I've, I, I, I facilitate a funeral for somebody. Some people say, how can God let this happen? And my mindset is, how could I go through this without God? When you're in a drought, there's always a drink. And Jesus says, come to me, all who are thirsty. And then he says this, in rivers of living water will flow from within you. Remember, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually said that he had to leave so someone greater than he could come. And what he meant by that is, I have to go because I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Within you. 
So now the Spirit of God who came and dwelt in, in, in a fully God, fully man, personified Jesus Christ, God's Spirit upon him, he leaves, and now where does God's Spirit go in all of us? He says, come to me and have a drink, and I'll put living waters on the inside of you. In other words, the, the, the God that you've been seeking, the God that you've been crying out for, the God that you've been saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, I'm going to put that Spirit of God in you. And you will always have me. So I must go so someone greater can come. Come to me. So when there's a drought, there's always a drink. So drink deep. The rivers of heaven. He'll put living waters on the inside of you. He will fill you with the rock HaKadosh, his Holy Spirit. Listen, the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible. And I need the Holy Spirit. And I just happen to think that you do too. You need these living waters. Without it, you'll, you'll continue to be thirsty. You'll continue to try to seek other sources. But when you're filled with the Spirit of God, it's like riving, li rivers of living water within you. So Jesus came to tabernacle with you. When you're in a drought, there's always a drink. And the third thing is Jesus is the answer to all your prayers. And that was really the declaration that Jesus made. There's a party going on. People are like, oh, Messiah, come save us. The water pouring ceremony, they're lighting the lights. And ultimately, Jesus shows up at that feast on the last and greatest day and he says I'm the answer to all your prayers and he's still the answer to all of our prayers today he's still the answer I am the answer to all your prayers something really cool happened too uh, just one chapter later in the book of John that I think really helps drive this point home even more if you remember, on the last and greatest day of the festival, that the, the priest would take that golden pitcher and they would go down to the pool of Shalom and they would, uh, uh, Salome, and they would scoop up the water and they'd pour it out at the, in the basin at the foot of the altar. And then they would be praying, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, may his light shine upon us. In the very next chapter, Jesus encounters a man that was born blind. Born blind. His disciples said, hey, Jesus, uh, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind, he said neither, but, but to bring glory to God. And then you know what Jesus does? This is the craziest thing. He spits in the dirt. He makes mud. He rubs it on the man's eyes. And he says, I want you to go down to the pool of Siloam. The same pool. The golden pitcher, the point of I want you to go to the pool of Siloam, and I want you to dip. And when he does this, he comes out seen. Now, if you're blind your whole life, what's the only thing you've ever seen? It's darkness. He goes to the pool of Siloam. He washes the saliva-filled dirt off of his eyes, and he sees light. This is what it says in John 9. It says, he says, well, I'm in the world. Watch what Jesus says. I am the light of the world. 
We just heard this on the last and greatest day in chapter 8. And after saying this, he spit in the mud, or he spit in the ground, he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. He says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man washed and went and came home seeing light. How awesome. How awesome. What I find even so inspiring about this man, born blind, is that the religious leaders of the day had a real issue with this miracle because Jesus performed it on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you are to do no work. And of course, like true religious Pharisees, they had a list of things of what work meant. Because some say, well, what do you mean by work? I saw my neighbor mowing his lawn. That seems like work to me. So they had this list. One of the things you could not do on the Sabbath was you could not knead. You know how you would knead bread? You could do no kneading or building. And the reason for this is because, again, the Israelites came from 400 years of slavery where they made bricks, so they had to knead mud. Or, and, and also, you couldn't knead bread, so you had to prepare bread the day before. So no kneading, no building. You know, how does Jesus perform this miracle on the Sabbath where you're supposed to do no work? He kneads mud with his saliva, and he rubs on the man's eyes. So they had a real issue with this. And they brought him before, basically, the religious court. So there's religious leaders that are like, they kind of like are overseers and governors, and he brings them before, and he says, tell us who did this. They didn't really care about the miracle. They, wanted, they really wanted to crucify Jesus. And they said, Do, is Jesus the Messiah or not? They wanted him to confess this. They brought his parents in. Like, what do you say about him? And his parents knew better. They're like, hey, listen, he's a grown man. He can speak for himself. Keep us out of this. So you feel the tension. And the man ultimately, this is his testimony. He says, I don't know. I don't know if he's the Messiah or not. But here's what I do know. I was blind. But now I see. The great Hosanna has come. Our great salvation. The one that people have looked for for their whole lives. On the last and greatest day, they pray and chant, save us, save us, let your light shine upon us. And Jesus' life was a declaration of I am the answer to all your prayers. Is he the Messiah or not? I don't, I don't know. But yesterday I was in darkness. Now I'm in the light. Watch what he says next. He says, wait a second. Why are you asking me all these questions about what Jesus did for me? You must want to be his disciples too. He understood it. He understood salvation. Moving from darkness to light. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So what I want to tell you today is that in the battle between darkness and light, light wins every time. The light wins every time. Go out at night with a flashlight. Turn it on. Darkness won't overcome it. No one has ever been like, my flashlight's, the darkness is too dark, my flashlight doesn't work. It works every time. Light pushes back darkness. We don't have a shadow. 
dispenser. Watch this shadow light. And we turn the switch on and it pushes light back and makes the room dark. We don't have it. It doesn't exist. Darkness is just the absence of light. So it has no power. It can only exist where light doesn't. So if there's darkness in your life, if you're struggling with darkness, our world struggles with darkness, somebody just needs to turn the lights on. If you're struggling with darkness in a corner of your life, turn the lights on. Jesus said, I am the light of life. Walk with me, you'll never be in dark again. There's corners of the city of Kokomo that are dark. Somebody needs to go turn on the lights. Someone needs to be the light. Shine the light of Jesus. What does Jesus say? Hide your light under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Like a, a city hidden on a hill. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. And if there's darkness in your life, addiction in your life, struggle in your life, come to the light, the light of the world. If you're thirsty, have a drink. You'll never thirst again. You'll have rivers of living water within you. Turn on the lights. Would you stand with me this morning? We have some time today. I left some time on purpose because I want you to be able to respond to the Lord because he says, come to me and have a drink and I'll give you rivers of living water. He says, I am the light of the world. Walk with me and you'll never walk in darkness again. And here in a moment, we're going to sing one last song. And before we do, if, if, if any prayer team members that we have here today, I want to invite our prayer team members just to come down front. And if you want to receive prayer for any area of your life, maybe it's an area of your life that you would say, I just, I'm experiencing darkness in this area. Come see one of our prayer team members. They'll pray for you. If you just want to come down front and say, I just want to get a drink, then, then come. Come all who are thirsty. But as we sing, would you just respond and however the Lord leads you, if you want to receive personal prayer, you can come and do that for any area of your life related to this message or not. Or if you just want to come and have a drink, if you want to stay right you are and lift your hands in worship and have a drink, let's just be a time of rejoicing. Like at the Roshana Rabbah, people rejoicing, save us, save us. But now we get to say, Lord, you saved us. You saved us. Let's worship and let's pray together.